NotFest.com presents Talk To Me. With over 300 interviews under his belt and six years running, your host Joshua Toomey interviews metal and rock's heaviest hitters. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Here's your host, Joshua Toomey. guys let's welcome alan robert of life of agony back to the talk to me podcast here at not yeah i'm alan man how have we been doing doing great i'm uh just getting used to being back home you know yeah. after being out for so long this year <laughs> uh, we've been out um i guess since january off and on you know oh. europe U- uk we just did the northeast with sick of it all uh we headed up to canada and back and so now we're, we got a couple of weeks off to kind of recharge before the summer and uh head back to europe again and a bunch of stuff we're going to announce for the rest of the year it's a crazy year man um you know it's funny i talked about this on the podcast when i went to the 30th anniversary show here in louisville and um you know one of the reasons i went is because you guys don't tour you know the states often at all so it was just like you know i i, I wasn't feeling well that day the allergies and all this other stuff were, were kicking my butt but i was like man i gotta go because you know, there's no telling when you're going to be back through the through the Midwest. You know, and I just wore the shirt like um, without, without <laughs> nice. realizing that you were at that show. Hey, you got that uh, shirt there. I got this shirt there. You know, yeah. So a lot of a lot of um, <clears throat> a lot of representation there. Yeah. Uh, no, a great place. You know, they had that that plane that's kind of like mm-hmm. outside yeah. the building, like smashed into the rocks. Uh, very unique. Yeah, that club. I I. When I before I lived here, uh, I used to drive up to see shows there way, way back in the '90s, you know. And that plane has been there the entire time, so it's crazy that they're uh, they're kind of you know pulling shows there again. Plus, it looks like an old vaudeville theater because, like you know, the the paintings on the walls and things like that. So it's a cool, right? You know, I think those, I think that building go, has a lot of history. Like yeah. uh, they don't like even like the merch section. They didn't want you to put tape on the walls to cover up those <laughs> right? paintings and stuff. I guess they're from the '40s or something. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a, it's a crazy building, man. But, uh, you know, just kind of talk a little bit about, you know, actually getting out and touring the States and maybe why you guys tend to tour Europe more. I'm, I'm assuming it's just more lucrative over overseas, but, you know, getting out and actually touring, you know, some of the, some of the smaller uh, venues in the, uh, in the U S market. Well, it's funny because like we kicked off this, um, this world tour, um, uh, in January in Tampa, Florida, and nice. we played, we played like this community center, which didn't even have like lighting right. for, for I've the, seen the videos, yeah. Uh, and the crowd went, went absolutely berserk. Um, and it was a great hardcore vibe. And it was, um, it was very old school, kind of like almost a battle of the bands type of uh, vibe <laughs> in the room. And it was just, Did you guys win? Uh, <laughs> I have no idea what won, but, right. but we had a great time. The fans had a great time. And that kind of, that show playing that, with that energy and it was energy that went back to the nineties um, that you could just feel it in your bones. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't just like, Hey, let's put our phones up and tape the show. You know, it was right. like everyone was involved. In fact, I don't remember seeing phones in the crowd. People were into it, singing the words, getting involved. Um, and that really set the tone for the whole year for us. And so like 
deciding to do things that we haven't done before, trying new things. Uh, you never know how it's going to turn out. It could have sucked, you know, but we made the best of a very strange situation, you know, playing this community center with lights on. <laughs> right. Um, but those no videos are great. Like the yeah, yeah, they're amazing. And no one got hurt. You know, it was like all that chaos and no one got hurt. Um, it, was, it was just a great day, you know, and it really set the, the tone for the year. And uh, we uh, we jumped from that momentum right over to Europe where we played with Prong. Uh, you know, in the 90s, we, we opened up for Prong back in the day. And it was so, so cool to share the stage with them again. Um, all, all throughout Europe. Um, so there was a really solid bill, you know, uh, all throughout Europe. And then we uh, we hooked up with Madball uh, in the UK uh, for that run of dates. And that it's always great to hang out with Madball. We've, we've known them for 30 years. Right. And so it's just like, uh, you know, all the bands that we reached out to to kind of celebrate this this year with us are old friends and that we've had history with. And uh, it's just been a really great time. You know, we just got off the road with Sick of It All in uh, the Northeast and, and uh, Canada. And um, it's, it's just been great, man. It's been a, a big celebration for us. Yeah. The, the one thing I talked about in the, in the video you guys shared on the, on the Life of Agony page and whatnot, which I, you know, thank you so much for doing that. Um, I was talking about, look, I, I took a moment to kind of look around and everyone in the whole venue was singing every word to every song, not just this time and river runs red. It was, you know, the deep cuts on the record and, and you can really feel like there was an energy in the room and you could just tell how much that album meant to everybody that was there. And it's just, it's crazy. Cause it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's a moment in time record. It's, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, number one on billboard or whatnot, but it meant so much to everybody that was in that venue that night. It was, it was so much fun to see and so much fun to watch just everybody like reliving those moments and things. And it's kind of been like that every show for us. And, and, yeah. um, and we're not dialing it in, you know, we're, we're there with that energy and, you know, we're soaking it in and we're, we're spreading it again. And uh, it's, you know, it's it's interesting because when Rivers came out in the 90s and even though it did make a big impact um, when it came out, we played to a lot of audiences that didn't know who the hell we were. <laughs> right. So in our prime in the 90s, we're still playing to audiences that we were trying to win over constantly. And it feels uh, doing this anniversary tour everyone that's showing up is there because they want to be there and that they know the record. Mm -hmm. So in, in a lot of ways, these have been the best tours we've ever done because we're getting to celebrate the music instead of trying to win people over with the music. And um, it's a completely different energy. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, thinking back to those times, I, I think like on River Res Red, you guys toured with like Carcass, which would have been an amazing tour for me. But like, I don't know how, <laughs> how a Carcass Carcass crowd would have taken you guys. And then I saw you yeah. guys multiple times with with Typo. And then I, I saw the Aussie tour, uh, you right. and Corn, And, I, and uh, I think you guys played like five songs, <laughs> if I remember correctly. But, yeah. uh, you, you know, we there did was, some there was... really like odd tours. Like, yeah, we played with KMFDM. Nice. We played with the Jenna Torches. The Jenna Torches was our very first U.S. tour. Um, <clears throat> we played with, uh, like you said, Carcass. Uh, we played a bunch of shows with Obituary along the way also because nice. they were on Road Roadrunner, mm -hmm. I think, at that time. 
uh, yeah, there was a lot of, they didn't know where to put us, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, we weren't, uh, hardcore enough to be a hardcore band and not metal enough to be a metal band. So we kind of played with everybody, you know? Yeah, that was, that was fun. So I think the, I was trying to think about the last time I saw you guys, cause I know it wasn't the Aussie show. That would have been 96, I think January 96. I think I saw one more show after that. I think it was maybe Anthrax, Cannibal Corpse. Did you guys tour that? Was that, was that a tour? <laughs> Somewhere. I th- yeah, I think it was Misfits headline. Yeah. Yeah. Misfits, Anthrax, Cannibal Corpse, and us. Yep. Yeah. So I think that would have been the last time I saw you guys prior to, you know, a few, a few weeks ago. Yeah. So I, which is yeah, crazy. It's going I mean, way I, back, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, there was there was a lot of time off there, and there was the the you know the Whitfield years and things like that, or the you know the Whitfield time, mm-hmm. and you know you guys just taking time off, man. But I, I just I just love the fact that that you know obviously celebrating thirty years of a record that that just emotionally meant a lot to everybody. Because even I was trying to explain to my wife, you know, we were the same age, but she didn't listen to you guys back then. She was, but she goes, "Had I heard this back then." I would have loved this back then. And, and I was trying to like explain to her, I was like, you know, when I was listening to Deftones and Corn and all that stuff coming up, I mean, Life of Agony was right there. It was always like a top five band. It wasn't, it wasn't just another band in the, in the, in the cassette case, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was right there, you know, on par with everything at the time. Right. Right. Well, so. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's strange because you, you look back at, you know, we did the Ozfest 98 and the side stage of bands that people really didn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> System of a Down, Incubus, mm-hmm. um, us, uh, Motorhead headlined every day. And all the other bands kind of rotated. So some some days we'd go on at noon and some days we'd go on right. at seven, 7 o'clock. You know, but watching bands like System of a Down completely take that audience who didn't know who the hell they were and just blow it up every day by the end of it, you know, yeah. um, was amazing to see. You yeah, never man, know what, what a band's going to do and, right. and the, the impact of live music uh, and the longevity that they've had, you know, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. System was a band that when I heard, like I, I had like a cassette single of them, a promotional single and I'm like, ah, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And then we finally saw them open for fear factory and I was just like, oh, my God, I get it, <laughs> you know, so much that we went to the next show, like in Memphis, like uh, the next day. And we saw it again and just was completely blown away by by Surge and the guys, man. Yeah. 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 It was, it's, a, it's amazing to see, you know, what even bands like Incubus, who I love, oh, yeah. um, you know, they seem kind of out of place a little bit on that bill. Um, and look, look how huge they got, you know, since um i remember seeing um some kind of poster that they sold out the garden maybe two nights or something i was like oh my god they're huge you know i remember waiting online with brandon boyd to use the payphone (laughs) before cell phones (laughs) right we were trying to trying to call home you know a couple times a week everybody's Uh, got their calling cards or whatever yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) and it's like you know boy they they came a long way yeah, I mean they're they're a crazy band too. There was like that, uh, like they did like Black Sabbath, Pantera, Incubus, you know, back in the day. It's just like that that makes no sense to me at all. But I I personally love it. But you know, the, the average person would just be like, why is Incubus on this bill? Yeah, yeah, same thing. Like uh, one of my favorite bands of all time is Quicksand from New York. Oh yeah, and they came out around the same time we did, mm-hmm. 
And they ended up with, I think, the White Zombie Anthrax tour. Nice. And going on first. And it was like, yeah. I don't really get that bill, but I'll go see Quicksand <laughs> right. anytime, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you look back some of those tours, especially like, uh, I, th- I think one of my favorite out-of-place bands ever was uh, Kiss on the Reunion Tour, 97, Power Man 5000 opening. But it was pre like electronic power man it was that that kung fu mega kung fu radio album where they were a little bit more of like a funk rock band mm. <laughs> and man you could just hear like the crickets in between songs and people literally booing i mean obviously mm. you know people were wanting to see kiss and you know on the reunion tour also but that that had to have been a tough tour to open back then yeah even like when faith no more opened for metallica guns and roses on that mm-hmm. stadium tour yeah, they were going on during the daylight, you know, and people were just coming in from the parking lot from, you know, tailgating and everything. And they had like this much room on stage, you know, with all the production. And who doesn't love fate no more, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, it's, it's... but they had a tough, tough time, I think, on that on that run. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, looking back on those like OzFest side stages and just even like, uh, you know, I I follow a bunch of Instagram accounts that are that are like, you know, old New Jersey hardcore and they they show flyers of, of, you know, bands that they they, it was like a five dollar show. And it's like My Chemical Romance Thursday and somebody else, you know, and you're just and and they're all opening for for some band you've never heard of. It's just crazy how, you know, I I guess you do need to get out and get get there early and check out the opening bands. But uh, but yeah, I mean, some of those when you see those old flyers for for shows that were five, seven dollars back in the day that now would be five hundred dollars at the arena, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, my, we we recently took a trip down to to Orlando, and uh, at the Orlando Hard Rock, they have an entire CBGB's, uh, you know, room where they have you know all the old photos, and then they have you know stage worn gear, and they actually have I think uh, chunks of the wall or chunks of the stage, like you can actually check out and stuff, man. And it was, I got to play there once in like 2004 probably like right before they closed down. Actually, I thought the sound in there sounded great, man. But uh, what are what are your memories of CBGB's? Well, besides the the awesome hardcore shows, you know, that they used to do, LOA actually didn't play there until, I believe, 2005 when we did the Broken oh, wow. Valley record. And we did just, uh, just a handful of small venues in the area on the release week. Yeah. Um, that was the only time LOA played there. I played there with other bands, um, like Among Thieves and, and things like that. And I used to go to to all the shows but we never for whatever reason we never really played there we lamores was our spot you know nice. lamores in brooklyn uh we would play there like every sunday <laughs> we were like <laughs> right. the house band for a while yeah the um the very first tour i did when i played in primer 55 our first date was at lamore i don't know which one it would have been it was in 2002 i know there's there was a couple of iterations of lamore um or or they may have moved around a little bit but um um yeah 2002 uh my first show ever with primer was at lamore and what a, what a cool venue man yeah i mean i i saw a bunch of different versions of it over the years you know going back to like the late 80s when we would play with biohazard and carnivore and stuff right and then um you know once like uh, rivers came out in the early 90s i think we did a record release show there and then even when ugly came out we we did a couple of nights in a row there. Um, and then I think they closed down and they they kind of 
reconfigured the club and opened it on a different street, different entrance, and then it was a strip club for a while. I think it's like, um, and then they tried another location somewhere, yeah. Staten Island or something, and then now it's like a like a sweatshop or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when um, Lee Brooks, the director who did our um, documentary, The Sound of Scars. Yeah, he flew flew in with his cameraman, and they were looking to do like aerial shots of of Lamore uh, with some drones and stuff. And that footage is in the film. And they actually, with uh, special effects, they recreated the awning and um, nice. and uh, kind of you know it, it looked like the old Lamore, you know, from a distance. Uh, they actually captured a a car accident when they did that drone <laughs> shot. It was pretty sick. <laughs> They have, they have the the, you know, the court ordered footage and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. of uh of that thing. There was a there was there was an old uh what is that curb your enthusiasm? I guess they were filming one day at Dodger Stadium, and they uh, someone was charged with murder. Or, uh, this is uh, way far fetched, but the guy was like charged with murder, and he was trying to say that no, I was at Dodger Stadium, and they couldn't find any footage of him at Dodger Stadium at the time of the murder, and then they actually he actually remembered that there was a film crew there filming B roll or something of, of, uh, of for, for curb your enthusiasm. And there's actually a, a cut scene of, of uh, who's the guy that does curb the guy that did Seinfeld and all that stuff. Um, Larry David. Yeah. That Larry David walking past the guy as the wow. guy goes to his seat. So, like they finally found the footage, but yeah. So, so maybe your director uh, caught the, the, <laughs> the, the, the uh, you know, the second shooter on the uh, grassy knoll type footage. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> Too fun. Man. So, so playing Lamore was it, and not playing CBGBs, was it a kind of a, a, a club loyalty thing and just never had the offers for CBs? Like what, what kind of went on there? Do you know? I don't think it was ever like a big deal that we didn't play there. It's just okay. something that when we did finally play, they were like, you know, we never played here before. Like we, <laughs> right. we've all been here tons of times, but we never actually played here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it was kind of something, it was like a bucket list thing that we all wanted to check. You know, we wanted to play that venue finally. And I, yeah, I think it did close a few years after that. Um, but uh, we used to play a bunch of places in Brooklyn and Jersey um there was this one place in brooklyn called the crazy country club which was kind of just like a bar um and they had like i don't even think there was a stage but there was an area for bands and they had a bunch of hardcore shows there and we would play there a lot um and up and down the east coast we would go we would go to baltimore and um we'd play dc we played 930 club in dc and all this stuff like that but yeah cb just wasn't in the cards for us back then for whatever reason. Yeah. I think the only other venue I played in the city was Coney Island high. I got to play yeah. there once. Yeah. So that yeah, that's good time, so. I don't, I don't think that we ever played Coney Island high either. Well, we, we, <laughs> we would do, uh, we did Irving Plaza and Gramercy and Bowery ballroom and things like that. All right. We're kind of diving back into the 30th anniversary stuff, man, and, and just kind of hitting back on that record, you know, and obviously that record, lyrically, a lot of that, I think, was written by you, if, I, if I'm correct, you know, so kind of diving yep. back into those emotions and, and kind of all those feelings, kind of kind of getting back into that. Was that tough for you to kind of really revisit that record as, as kind of deep and hard as you guys did? Well, when you have a crowd of people shouting those lyrics back at you with, <laughs> with all that passion, it just, it lights that fire with within you and... And you, 
I tend to scream the lyrics right back at them, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's just that energy that, that exchange of energy and emotion. That's, that, that's what makes the shows great. You know, um, it's really tough. Like I, I think back to like the Aussie tour when we were going on first, um, in front of, you know, because the first 20 rows probably are empty when for an opener on an Aussie tour. Mm -hmm. And you really have to try and connect with the cheap seats, you know? <laughs> uh, and so, um, you know, half of, uh, we realize like half of our show is emotional connection. And so it makes it really hard to connect in, in a situation like that. In fact, on the Aussie tour, as great as those shows were, playing arenas with our heroes, right? Um, because Korn was also on the tour, uh, Korn and Life of Agony would play clubs in between yeah. the Ozzy dates because Ozzy played maybe three times a week or something. And so the Korn dates were insane, you know, because yeah. that we were back in our element and uh, you're playing these packed, insane clubs uh, in the 90s when Korn was just blowing up on the first yeah. record. Um, so those were really super memorable. And um, that was really we were more in our element. We went uh, after the after the Nashville show. You guys played Knoxville with Corn on like an off date. I think GZR was supposed to be there too. I, I if I remember correctly, or, or I don't know if they were popping in on these shows because I know they, Geezer was. Yeah, because Geezer was playing bass for Ozzy yeah. on that tour, and GZR would play the corn dates with us in the clubs. Yeah. And I remember specifically because we played a lot of places that were tight stages and Geezer Butler played his bass through my rig a, a few nights. Oh, and wow. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I was like, <laughs> right. I've been christened, you know, like this is, <laughs> it's got the power of Geezer in my, in my rig. Uh, so those were, that was an amazing honor. Yeah. We drove through like a snowstorm to get there. And um, I remember the corn guys, were like really freaking out because of the snow and they were acting like, I, I don't know if this is the first time they'd ever really seen snow, but they were like freaking out because there was so much snow around. And I, I just remember like, like heading those guys just like going crazy, like you know, having a snowball fight and stuff after <laughs> the show. Those mm. good times, man. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. One cool thing I liked about the, the, the performances too, is obviously the answering machine messages in between the songs. And it's funny now, you know, now that I'm 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 in my 40s and I have a son who is 17 and he's having, you know, his issues with the school and things like that. It's funny, like you you grow up being the kid listening to the voicemails, and then now I'm at the age where like I'm the parent on <laughs> on like you know, did you know the school called me today? You know, like I, I've literally had those conversations and like <laughs> wow. you know, and it's just like, are you on drugs? You know, like I, I feel like I'm I'm the the parent on the uh, on the on the record now, like. It's crazy. I guess you 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 live long enough to to switch roles on that record. That's pretty wild. That uh, I never heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense. And um, you know, listening to the answering machine messages during the concerts, yeah, um, always sparks different memories for me because I was there when we recorded them, and a lot of the people that appear in those little scenes were friends and family. So like. The very first machine message was um, was an ex-girlfriend of mine who passed away uh, oh. a few years ago. And so to hear her voice on that machine always, you know, makes me feel for her. Um, 
and her son that she left behind, unfortunately. Um, and then the manager, um, the the manager of the store that the kid worked at was our manager at the time. <laughs> right. um, and uh, Mrs. Glicker, the teacher, uh, that's my mom's voice. Oh, nice. So uh, it's really personal, you know, and, and we just pulled favors <laughs> from friends and family to kind of like, hey, can you kind of call this? An-? And we really did. We had them call this answer machine and recorded it. Um, and back then, you know, everything was analog, you know, it was like very DIY. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> not to give too much away, but obviously you guys closed with like weeds. And it, it is funny because, you know, looking back, that song really didn't get it to do because of the, you know, with, with Mina leaving the band and, and like it was, it was getting a push, but then it didn't get the biggest push because, you know, Mina left shortly after all of that. And, and it's, you know, I, the soul searching sun record I go back to occasionally, but it's not one. I, you know, uh, you know, rivers and then ugly, like ugly. I can't wait for the 30th anniversary of ugly, by the way. But, uh, you know, like, like hearing weeds live and it, it really hit me differently hearing it live and, and kind of, you know, you know, this, actually this, I really do need to like give that album more of a shot than maybe I did back in the day. It's interesting with that song because it really resonated with different people and, well, it kind of crossed over in a couple of different scenes too. And yeah, um, there's a lot of um, singer songwriters that have filmed themselves playing their rendition of weeds in yes. all different ways on piano, on, you know, 12 string guitar, uh, acapella. So it's like, it really, um, it struck a nerve with people um, in a different way than something like this time or through and through. Right. Um, and so it, it really uh, kind of crossed over in a bunch of different ways and and became more of a popular song than we even realized. Yeah, it's definitely a good one, man. Um, let's dive into a little bit of the, the coloring book stuff. I know your your newest coloring book came out, uh, Beauty of Horror 6, uh, Famous Monster Pieces. I like that name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just that came is, out. Mm-hmm. That is also... Uh, Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster had the uh, Monster Piece Theater back in the day. So. <laughs> I did not know that. But <laughs> yeah, I'm he a would... big fan of Grover's Monster at the end of the book. There you go. <laughs> you, you ever saw that as a kid? Yeah, I wrote Monster Pieces down today and I was like, Monster Pieces? That's a really, like, famous Monster Pieces would obviously be a great band name. But then I was like, Monster Pieces? That was, and I had to look it up. I was like, yeah, that was Cookie Monster. Like, he did like a, uh, uh, a Monster Piece Theater where they would you know, do an old <laughs> horror, like an old scary movie type thing. But yeah, good times, yeah. man. I definitely What's the, uh, on the Muppets. So that was probably like a subliminal thing <laughs> that creeped into my brain. Yeah. Yeah. He looked like the old, uh, the, the old Turner broadcasting, you know, where he'd sit there with the, the purple, you know, just suit jacket on and, you know, oh, watch the old show. Yeah. That, I vaguely remember that now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this one kind of takes like, you know, your, your takes on like older, old art and things like that. So what was kind of the, uh, the idea and the inspiration behind this one? Well, each of the books of the beauty horror series is, uh, has a theme to it. Um, the first one was kind of everything under the sun, as far as horror tropes go. But as the books develop, like part three was all about clowns and carnivals and part four was parodies of horror movie scenes, which was a lot right. of fun because I'm a huge horror fan. Uh, part five was like dead celebrities. And this one is all fine arts. So it's like, I went to art school. I went to school of visual arts in Manhattan and I can't tell you how many art history classes I slept through. <laughs> <laughs> so this was almost like 
revenge on me, like, <laughs> like to do my homework and to really get into the paintings and the sculptures that really should have been the inspiration for me to get, you know, involved in art. But I really just kind of shunned all that for a long time and did my own thing and wasn't interested in any of that stuff for a long time growing up. And um, as I started to do it more and more uh, professionally, um, I gained this whole new respect for the masters. And so this was kind of tip to my hat, tip of my hat to the the big, you know, the Van Goghs and the Renoirs and the Manets and all, and all these guys, Jackson Pollock. Um, so they're all in the book. And thankfully, there's a key in the back that shows you page by page where the parodies came from, because I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, you know, right. I had to do my own research and really <laughs> right. seek out um, pieces that would make sense to put my own horror twist on it. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I mean, obviously, I guess six books in. I mean, obviously, the the adult coloring industry is still uh, thriving, I guess, right? These books are doing great. You know, it's, yeah. it's re they've really taken a life of their own. They found an audience, a worldwide audience. The books are out in different languages and different wow. countries around the world. Um, and Guliana, the, the main character, she's got her own NECA doll now. Um, <clears throat> so it's really uh, kind of expanded way beyond I had ever planned because the very first beauty of horror book that I did was done as a spoof. Right. Um, I, I never intended to do a, an adult coloring book seriously. Um, <laughs> right. But at that time in 2016, the only real, uh, the adult coloring books that were popping up were nature books or mm -hmm. mandalas. And I was like, why, how come the horror fans aren't represented? What's up? <clears throat> so I drew my own and, um, it kind of just blew up and uh, really surprised a lot of folks, especially the publisher and myself, and just kept going and they got bigger and bigger. So, so when you're doing stuff for the for the coloring book side of it, how how many how many people come at you knowing of Life of Agony and, and your and your musical side, and then how many are like, oh, you're in a band too? Like, you know, like I guess, I guess that's um, the question. I'd say now it's starting to cross over a little more, but when I was mm -hmm. first was doing the coloring books. I think the audience that was picking them up really didn't know about Life of Agony or, yeah. you know, but now the the more that they follow me on socials and stuff, they're, they're seeing both worlds. Um, and it's kind of cool. You know, in fact, we played um, in Manchester, England on, um, on the, when we uh, took Madball out and um, one of the beauty horror fans hit me up on Instagram and she was like, are you ever going to do a UK signing of these books? And I was like, no, but I'm in Manchester tonight. You want to come out? And she came out and brought all her books and <laughs> nice. we took some pictures. And I mean, seeing her color work in person, I mean, it's different than watching it yeah. on social media, but to see like the hours that it took for her to color these pages in with colored pencils and markers and all this stuff by hand, it's just mind blowing to me, you know? I get, so when you're doing the book, do you do you just draw the the basic stuff, or do you actually color it yourself and then pull the color out? Like, I guess is how what's the process of making a coloring book page? Um, it's interesting because it's all one line weight, so there's really no shadow work, mm -hmm. and there's no way to create depth other than just single lines. 
So I kind of had to retrain myself from doing <laughs> horror graphic novels, which are, you know, typically done with a lot of shadows and dark inks and different right. line weights to create dimension. I stripped all that out to make the coloring pages. And it's just a single line that creates the design. And um, it's really with the color that the depth and the dimension is brought in. It's really, it's kind of like a never ending art project um, between my designs and the colorists out there, because you could get 10 different colorists color that one page completely different with different mediums too. There's watercolors and markers and people fill it in with nail polish, whatever they want. Sparkles, <laughs> crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, people really, really are passionate about it. And it's a way for them to kind of unplug and do something creative and express themselves, which is really cool. How often are you tagged and stuff on on like Instagram or is there like a hashtag that you kind of follow that the, the you know beauty of horror hashtag or something that you can follow that yeah. shows you all this stuff? There's thousands, thousands of pages online. Uh, if, you, if you look up the beauty of horror or just beauty of horror uh, on Instagram, you'll see some beautiful work. I try and share as much as I can, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm definitely looking at the uh, like the Mona Lisa with the bats and the uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the famous what uh, like this uh, farmer and. I don't know. I don't know how to explain American that. Gothic. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just pretty awesome to see it. And what is this? The wave or uh, the Great Wave? Yeah, the Great Wave. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, definitely. Uh, what, how do people find that online? Is it Amazon? All that good stuff? Yeah, it's actually number number one new release on Amazon right now. Um, Crazy. But to check out the whole series, just go to thebeautyofhorror.com. Everything's up there. So basically your life right now consists of, you know, making coloring books and, uh, and, and booking tours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. It's, it's a nice life to live, man. And doing laundry when I'm home. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like yeah, doing the laundry the... king over here. Yeah. No, hey, there's nothing better than that laundry day on tour though. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, there's nothing like washing your clothes and starting fresh for the next week. You know, it's like, it's one a good feeling last... on tour. One of the last tours I did, we had a, one of our only days off we had was in LA and a friend of mine called me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm in LA. He's like, what are you doing in LA? And I'm like, laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just like, that's terrible. Don't knock it, man. Don't knock it. Unless you've yeah. been there. Yeah. Laundry day or like a fresh pack of new socks on tour. Like, <laughs> like yeah. that. Those are like two of the best days ever. <laughs> I, I remember I was hanging around the Reverend Horton heat one time at a, at a, at a show in Jimbo, like I guess they they had socks on their rider and they gave them like ankle socks or something whatever socks they didn't want. Yeah. And uh, he's like, "Do you want these?" I'm like, "Sure." And I'm like, "Man, why would you want socks on your rider?" I was like 15, 16. And then uh, the uh, and I started touring and then you know you occasionally get a, a, a pack of socks and you're like, "Oh, now I see why the Reverend Horton Heat wanted socks on the rider." Like, well, that's great. something that was new to me too because when when Whit Crane uh, was singing for us in '98. Um, he had socks put on the rider and I was like, why does this guy need socks on the rider? And sure enough, rip that bag open, new socks every day. He was, he was a happy camper. Yeah. <clears throat> it's the little things in life, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was going to ask you this and then we'll start wrapping it up, man. But what's, what's kind of the, the difference for you touring now, as opposed to 30 years ago, like, you know, the, the creature comforts, obviously, you know, when you tour, when in your twenties, you don't mind sleeping under a bench seat in a van, but you know, <laughs> obviously in, in, in our older ages, you know, touring is pro- probably a little bit different. Uh, yeah, it's a lot different. First of all, I could sleep anywhere. So I could totally relate to sleeping. Under I could a do bench that too. <laughs> or, uh, you know, in our very first van, uh by the end of the first tour all of the captain's chairs just would recline and wouldn't get back up so we ended up ripping them all out (laughs) and we got uh beanbag chairs nice and so it was kind of like uh like a hippie commune (laughs) inside the van (laughs) everyone just hanging out on beanbag beanbag chairs um so like you know when you go on tour, I think comfort goes out the window. You know, we did we did the bus stuff over the years. We've done the van stuff. We've kind of done everything. Um, we've done tours where you're flying almost every day, you know. So it's like, uh, I think once you commit to tour mode, like anything goes and the hours are totally whatever you're faced with, you have to deal with. And that's the only way to make the next show, you know. And even there was some really long drives on this run um, that we just got off of. And uh, it's like once you get there and you have a nice meal together and it's all behind you and you get to kind of like uh, feel human again. But, uh, you know, we've kind of always dealt with really long drives. You know, it's like uh, even sometimes uh, taking tours in the dead of winter. You know, I remember we did a tour. I think it was our first European tour in the 90s and Rivers had just come out and it was us, Propane and the Spud Monsters all on one bus. And um, we were the the first band to get on the bus and um, we had first choice of bunks, you know. And so I took one look at the bunks and they must have taken like a 18 sleeper double decker bus and converted it to like 24 so the bunks which were like that big originally (laughs) went to that big and if you got into the bunk one way you'd have to get out of the bunk to turn over like that's how small they were that sounds awful i'm too claustrophobic to deal with that i'm gonna sleep on the couch and for two (laughs) months i slept downstairs with no heat in the dead of winter fully dressed boots on hoodie um sleeping on piles of merch <laughs> for two <laughs> right. for two months and that was like my little apartment down there um and that's the way i got through it you know but we took i can't tell you how many cold showers we've taken you know all throughout germany and poland in the dead of winter um over the years um but you deal with it man you deal with it the shows are great you know they were packed exciting 90s uh rock shows um in europe and there was really nothing like it you know it's kind of like a camping trip you know? <laughs> right. just have to kind of get in that mode and and make it happen yeah and i'm assuming like life of agony the 90s was a little bit different because it was like a like a all for one mentality where you're like you know looking at the bigger goal of you know uh, trying to make it happen to where now it's like uh I mean, I guess it still is, but it's just, it's just back, you know, when you're, when you're in your, your twenties, it just seems like, you know, the entire world is at your fingertips and, and, uh, you know, the world is your oyster kind of thing. 
I don't know. Not, it wasn't for us, you know. For us, it was more like thrown into situations that you weren't <laughs> prepared for, yeah. that no one told you about, and um, just kind of survival mode, to be honest. Like, Europe in the 90s, especially the early 90s, when every single country had its own currency, and you're running around, forget trying to do laundry in, in <laughs> Europe, uh, with you know a lot of folks that didn't speak any English that didn't want to help us do laundry. I've, I've actually washed clothes in Germany and then thinking I was taking those clean clothes and putting them in a dryer, washed them again because I didn't understand how to read <laughs> which machine was which. But, right. but just dealing with borders uh, in, in Europe, going through borders, we got strip searched, we had dogs on the bus, um, all these different situations you're just thrown into and you're not really prepared for. Plus you're living with people in different bands and crew and you're all thrown into this little, uh, you know, tube, this moving tube together for months at a time. Uh, there's a, a lot to acclimate to as a, you know, as a young performer and, and, you know, it, it, it kind of, uh, it molds you. It definitely molds you and you learn from it. And I wouldn't change it for anything because we all, we did it and we survived it and um, we did it together and we could look back at those crazy stories uh, and laugh. Um, but there was hard times too, you know, dealing with, you know, labels and pressures and, you know, what are you going to do next? Which tour is going to come up? What's going to, what are we going to do when we get back? And, you know, we weren't making any money back then either, you know, add that to the mix. You know, you do a, a two-month tour and you're like, oh, where's, you know, you're making uh, per diems, you know. Um, so, like, you know, just survival as, as a young uh, 20-something, I guess, we were back then. Uh, that was you, that was what you were dealing with in your mind. And now when we go out, we have families and kids at home and, uh, you know, you're kind of juggling domestic life back home and what's in front of you uh, on the road all at the same time. And now that at least communication is better, you know, with iPhones or whatever, uh, you know, you can kind of be in contact with your family members throughout the day, even if you're in a different continent. But back then it was like, yeah, see you in two months, you know? Um, right. <laughs> yeah, we had these calling cards that never worked, you know? No one had cell phones back then, so it was uh, there was no email either. So it was just, <laughs> dear, you know, <laughs> you're um, so and so back home. Um, we would send postcards and stuff back back in those days, you know. Um, yeah. Every every once in a while, like when I was freezing my ass off in that bus, you know, I got a care package back home uh, with a blanket. You know, that kind of <laughs> right. saved, saved me uh, to get through the next month, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> yeah, you're laying on the pile of merch like, I hope we don't sell all the extra larges <laughs> tonight because I need those for a pillow and a blanket. Yeah. That's actually one of my, uh, I, I'm, I'm friendly with Michael Alago, and one of my favorite things that he posts online is these old postcards from like Metallica from the 80s, you know, like, you know, hey, Michael, we're in blah, 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 and it's really cold here, and no, 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 and that's it. Like, that's all on the, on the postcard. We always post all these great old, you know, postcards from, like, Jason and, and Lars and everybody. It's mm -hmm. it's awesome to see. Yeah, totally can relate to that. 
Yeah, I mean, I I didn't start. I think my first tour we I ever did was like '98, but yeah, I was still like calling cards and 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 then even like into the early 2000s when people started having internet but you know you would go to the hotel and like rip the phone jack out of the wall and try to you know try to figure out how to get some dial up and all this other nonsense and in the early 2000s and stuff man but yeah with with phones i mean you know with the with the iphone and everything else now i mean you do i'm assuming you feel a little bit more connected to home than obviously back in the old days when you you had you know one phone you know you're in you're in line with brandon boyd hoping you know he doesn't get a long phone call ahead of you or something you know (laughs) Totally. It's, it's a world of a difference, you know, now, um, I I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, being this age and leaving a family at home for two months Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, sending a couple of letters here and there. I just, I don't think that would, that would work. Um, so I'm glad we did what we did when I was that age, um, (laughs) with less responsibility at home, you know? Um, but, you know, there was a, a lot of crazy times um, because of that, because of the lack of communication. Like we were, I think on the Ugly album, we were sent over to Europe to do a sold out headlining tour without a bus. A bus was <laughs> nice. not booked for us. So we just showed right. up at the first venue uh, with all our, I'll never forget, we had all our luggage on the floor of the venue waiting for the bus to show up and just no bus came and we had to scramble and try and get a bus um, at the very last minute paying, you know, top dollar. And thankfully we, we had some help from our uh, English booking agent at the time who made that happen, kind of saved us. But, you know, like just lack of communication. You can't, there's no accountability. You can't get someone <laughs> right. on the phone back home. I thought you were supposed to book this, you know, um, <laughs> right. you're just, you're, you're there to fend for yourself. Put Monty on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, good times, man. Uh, l- last thing, man, I was kind of looking through the Facebook page and whatnot, and and just seeing all of the Life of Agony tattoos still probably has to like warm your heart. Seeing you know some of the art you did back then, you know people are still getting on, and I'm I'm still I'm I'm, I'm thinking about getting the uh, the logo. Uh, kind of so am I. You session, know, I don't so. have it either. <laughs> oh. um, and uh, my daughter uh, is 15 now, and she's like, you should get it, you know, and I, sh- I probably should get it, you know. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, I I have a bunch of other tattoos, but I, I just don't know where I would put it. And, um, yeah, I, I guess I will get it eventually. Right. Yeah, I'll get it right next to I got. I just got the uh, the Back to the Future DeLorean. Right. <laughs> so so i'll get it somewhere over there you know in the uh, in the in the mishmash section of my arm <laughs> some of some of our fans are really die hard with yeah the, the logo on their necks or their hands or yeah uh, face um you know really um really bold really bold statement yeah i'll get the entire back piece you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um is there any uh, any plan to do anything with Ugly in, in what is that ninety five? So that'll be a couple more years. Uh, yeah, ninety five. Um, there's been some talk about it, so we'll yeah. see. You know, I wonder what that would be like because that record, as you know, is uh, a lot different than River on Dread and yeah. a lot more um, subdued and um, more jammy in parts and kind of mellower in in other spots and. Um, I wonder what that set would be like if we played that in its entirety. Um, 
and and say and say river songs till the very very end. <laughs> um, I, I I wonder how that would go over. Yeah, still my I I think if if not my favorite, one of my top five. LOA songs of all time is is let's pretend. So, I'll I'll, t- I'll take some I'll take a mellow night with you guys. <laughs> well, we did uh, we did stick let's pretend in a couple of the sets on this last run. Um, um, we I don't I think should've, we played I should've it. Should have texted you. You didn't. <laughs> no, yeah, it was. You know, it was kind of. It's one of those songs that's like um, it's on the set list, and it's like if the vibe is right, we'll play it. You know. Yeah. And, and you know, we had a couple of those nights on this last run, and I love playing that song. Um, yeah, it's a good one. And uh, we were playing it a lot in Europe, actually. I think we played it almost every night in Europe. Well, play every night in Europe. <laughs> it's on the set list, but the one show I go to, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. That's all good, man. It's funny you guys said that you guys were at like Cluckers or whatever over in Indiana when you were here. But I actually live on the Indiana side. Like you're literally like five minutes down the road from me. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I could have I yeah, been for, um, for some, for Cluckers, some beers man. or something. Cluckers was like that was the only place we could eat because it was, we played uh, Kentucky on St. Patty's Day. Yeah, and every restaurant, every bar was packed, and we ended up at Cluckers. Yeah, and it was confusing to us because yeah, it was on the other side of the river, literally, and uh, we joked about that and that we were in a different state, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I live on the Indiana side of, of Louisville, but it's easier just to say I live in Louisville than be like actually I live in uh, you know, like, mm, right? But yeah. They they call it the sunny side of Louisville, I believe, is what the joke is. <laughs> it was nice over there. We ate right on the water there. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Um, we're def- definitely in there many a time, man. Well, I will. Uh, I'll let you get out of here, man. Get you get you back to the rest of your day. You probably got another coloring book to write and uh, or uh, or illustrate and uh, and another tour to book. Uh, <laughs> all that good stuff, man. So so just kind of run it down. Uh, let's see here. Your updates with Prong at the end of the year. We got some other stuff to announce. And the Beauty of Horror Six is out now. So make sure to go and get that and uh, and support Alan and all he does, man. This has been a fun conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. The Talk To Me Podcast, presented by NotFest.com. Follow the show at Talk To Me Talk. Be sure to subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app to get the latest from the Talk To Me Podcast.